War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair-pricing, exceptional service over 20 years' experience specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal-coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand-new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call j perry paving for a free quote it makes a huge difference in your property in your home in your driveway or patio 401-732-1730 j perry paving 401-732-1730 you can also find them on facebook they're terrific hey get that driveway paved call and book an appointment now 401-732-1730 for j perry paving you're listening to the John DePietro Show. Folks, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's Tuesday, and this portion of the program brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. They are open today. Make it a great day. Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Stop in and see them. 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. Everything baked fresh right off of uh, Silver Spring Street, right off of uh, 95. Stop in and see Ron. Delicious calzones, the best calzones also delicious sausage and pepper old-fashioned pizza strips and sandwiches plus they have the delicious the most delicious chocolate donuts and cupcakes they're open tuesday through saturday from seven in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon ron's pastry gourmet make a good a great day at ron's pastry gourmet folks as always visit the website to petro.com we have some unique original stories up i want to start off with first of all um talk about undermining confidence in our system now on the one hand i do want to give credit to attorney general peter narona who at the very least i'll say this about uh our attorney general he's up for re-election in the fall and i i just want to remind people that years ago when in fact um you would like attorney general peter kilmartin or or even patrick lynch you you never would have gotten the type of explanations the way that attorney general peter narona will go through to explain a case and why, in fact, maybe he's not bringing charges. And um, you're going to see on the uh, on the website, petro.com will McKee fire Craddock? So Bud Craddock, the head of the DMV, and he's the one that they've been investigating. And if you click on the story, it, it's beyond suspicious. I mean, this is someone, they say that there should have been some red flags that they should have seen what was going on. I want to read right from, this is what the attorney general put out. Certainly, the information presented by the state police to this office suggests there were multiple red flags should have given Mr. Craddock pause concerning the nature of the business operated by his first floor tenant. Now, again, this was he was renting, not the first time, but again, renting to uh, these people that were running these illegal massages in Cranston. They write, for example, there's no official record of a business registered at the location, no massage license displayed inside the union, no business name. On the exterior of the building or door, uh, an interior surveillance camera, garbage bags taped over the window. These are not the trappings of a legitimate commercial operation. Additionally, it appears that the business paid its rent in cash. As Craig admitted being inside the unit multiple times in the months leading up to the June 17, 2021 raid, there's little doubt he was aware of the general appearance of the building from the inside and outside. Given his law enforcement background, Craddock lately had reason to suspect this was not a legitimate commercial enterprise. Now, this is, again, Attorney General Pina Narona. This office also notes some of his answers to the state police strain credibility. For instance, his statement that, quote, he began to collect rent in person from this tenant during the pandemic makes little sense. If nothing else, the pandemic prompted most people to have fewer personal interactions rather than more. His statements to investigators that he believed the plastic bags taped over the windows compared to more typical window treatments such as shades were to keep light out as opposed to preventing someone from observing the activity from within. 
And then he never learned why the broken-down door to his first-floor unit required replacement are curious at best. Folks, and this guy's a former chief of police. Just the fact, okay, so you don't have a sign, and all these people are coming in from out of state, and it's all men that are visiting here. A little bit odd. Of course it's a, a little bit odd. You know what? But listen, now it's up to Governor McKee. I mean, all right, so there aren't going to be charges, but does that mean that he should stay as the head of the DMV? Now, the other story I want you to see on DePetro.com, Providence teacher. This guy's running for office, and he slams Elon Musk. Enrique Sanchez, he's a Providence teacher. And you wonder why Providence test scores are so low. Providence test The Providence schools are, have some of the lowest underperforming schools in the entire country. They should actually be disbanded. They should be. So this talk now, a lot of people are starting to realize, you know, the public school experiment has failed. We need a better system. You shouldn't have it. It's because the unions control it. You can't get anything done. It's not about the students. It's about the union. But here's what he tweeted out. Of course, I explained to my students in all five of my classes today why Elon Musk buying off Twitter is the worst thing that could have happened. No individual, and especially wealthy elites, should be given these types of opportunities to buy off social media platforms. This is a Providence teacher. That's not the lesson he should. Now, first of all, Jeff Bezos has, owns the Washington Post. John Henry, who's very wealthy, owns the, owns the Boston Globe. There, there are, you know, granted, Mark Zuckerberg, he became very wealthy. He obviously runs Facebook. But somehow that Elon Musk, who is self-made, who is brilliant, who has amassed incredible wealth. Why? By how? By thinking outside of the box, by really pushing the boundaries of, you know, a car doesn't need gas and we can fly more to outer space. And I mean, Elon Musk is, as most people would agree, is just this incredible individual. And not only that, but, you know, this could have been led to a discussion. You think about it, if you're a teacher in a classroom, if you want to, on the one hand, I like the fact a teacher who would then take the opportunity to talk to students about something happening, you know, right now in real time. But what about have a discussion on what it means to have freedom of speech, freedom of speech versus misinformation, freedom of speech where you, you know, you can't uh, yell fire in a crowded theater, freedom of speech where you are entitled to voice your opinion. But you can't just undermine others or slam others or or diminish others or, you know, a way to have a discussion where people have a right to their opinion of what it really means. But the fact uh, it's the worst thing and no individual wealth opportunities, then who should own it? See, he is a socialist. He's a communist socialist. He is running for state rep. He is a member of that Black Lives uh, Matter pack. He, you know, think of what's going on in the classroom and you wonder why a lot of these students then have problems with the police. You wonder why that their reading scores, if I told the, the, the math and English scores in the Providence Public Schools, not the charter, are, are just beyond atrocious. Uh, in that John Hopkins report, 95% of students in the eighth grade, think of this, 95% cannot do math at an eighth grade level. Ninety. Uh, percent of students in eighth grade 99 zero cannot do english at eighth grade level now they may do it at a seventh grade level they may do it at a sixth grade level maybe fifth maybe even fourth maybe third maybe second grade but they're not doing it at eighth grade level unable to do it they can't get just a c now that and nothing has changed what did rhode island governor dan mckee do about it with the providence teachers he gave them three thousand dollar bonuses in order to uh, try to get their vote. But that's why people have had it with, well, this is one of the reasons, I should say, why people have just had it with the failure of the public schools. There's also, you know, I, I, I am, uh, I don't know what to make of this story out of, out of Westerly, where, and we'll talk about it on Thursday with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd, but this, you know, this head of the um, Democrat, Westerly Dems cheers, this goes beyond sexual assault. This is first degree. This is this is a rape case. This is, and it I, I, it sounds like maybe there was some kind of Channel Twelve reporting that 
maybe someone, but there was alcohol involved of some kind, but it happened at the start of the Memorial Day weekend last year. Um, even though he did know I had reason to know she was physically helpless at the time. I don't know what that, what to make of that, but that this is, this is first degree, which is, I mean, th this is a jail case and, and this, whoever this guy is, um, I, I don't know him, Ritico, uh, Robert Ritico, he, he, he went to an event a few weeks ago and had his photo taken with Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. I mean, talk about tone deaf. He, there's a, you know, you, you've been questioning this. There's a grand jury. It sure sounds like, like charges are coming. And he still goes to an event as though everything is fine. And then even has his photo taken with Governor McKee and the Johnston Sun published a photo. There was some kind of a, you know, like a beer gathering or I don't know, hot dogs and beer or something like that. Come and meet Governor McKee and, and all these people having their photo with him. And there's the guy. This wasn't like months ago or years ago. It was, it was like a couple of weeks ago. Now, I also see, according to Channel 12, a special legislative commission met uh, Monday afternoon to discuss whether sex work should be decriminalized in Rhode Island. Advocates argue that when consensual, it should not be punished. Uh, they're consenting adults who engage in sex work. That should be something we'll allow them to do, said Justice Gaines, a member of the commission. So Melissa Brundo of the National Organization Decriminalized Sex Work outlined the difference between sex work and sex trafficking. We conflate the two. Either everyone's a criminal or everyone's a victim. Uh, these people, they're pushing the narrative. Now, we had it. Uh, yesterday, when we had on Joanne Giannitti, she closed the loophole in Rhode Island in 2009. The Boston Globe sent their reporter, Amanda Milkovitz. She was out on Cranston Street. It doesn't sound very glamorous. It doesn't sound... One of the uh, individuals involved with it, Robin Laffey, said prostitution's not work. It shouldn't be work. Former sex wor uh, worker turned victim advocate. Her organization is together with love. She believes that decriminalization will only make it more dangerous. Every pimp, every perpetrator, every monster is going to come out and set up right here in Rhode Island. How do you draw the line on the girls that are forced into this, the girls being trafficked or manipulated? Um, one person suggested a partial decriminalization instead. So so the people that are perpetrating the trafficking, the buyers are the ones that pay the price. But the commission, led by Anastasia Williams, Rep, and Edith Agello, is only tasked with making recommendations. It's shocking. People don't want to believe it's right here in our neighborhoods, but it is. Um, they're going to meet again next month. I mean, folks, these are, and we talked about this yesterday in the program, it's the progressives that are pushing this. One of the progressives is saying, well, you know, they could they could unionize, and then they could have uh, non-bind, they could have arbitration, binding arbitration, and, like, they, they're not. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's sad how pathetic that is and how delusional it is. Even the reporter for The Globe couldn't even say talk about like living in a in a fantasy land now speaking of the providence schools by the way where you have the person saying everyone should know that that uh elon musk buying it is is uh terrible that apparently in the providence schools someone in the administration are changing f grades to incomplete so teachers are saying we're wondering what's going on you know someone failed a class and so they received an f but then we noticed that someone high up is now changing it to incomplete. See, this is another example. They're not trying to educate these children. They're not trying to, and maybe they found out in some of these other school districts that that's how they get around it. But if you take a, an F grade and change it to an incomplete, you're not helping the child. You're just, what they seem to be doing in Providence with the help of the state and Governor McKee is they just seem to be trying to manipulate the system. NBC10, they received this. I hope everyone's having a great day. Email, dist uh, district, out of compliance. For P through P3 grades, the following Fs have been reported. The F should be converted to Is. Only seniors can be receiving Fs. Please have these grades corrected by the end of the day. Um, so no one from the district would sit down with NBC10 and answer some of these questions of why are you changing grades we we know why because the mckee administration and the providence officials want to pretend that they're actually making changes and and having progress 
with the grading of these students. And the fact of the matter is they're not. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Lawn Doctor, your best lawn ever, guaranteed. Call them today. The best thing to do is go on their website. It's lawndoctor.com, lawndoctor.com, or call them, 401-392-1025. Get a quick, easy quote. Your best lawn ever guaranteed. Remember, right now it's so important. They come out early spring. They do another spring lime. Then they do late spring. Then they're back in the summer. Then they do grub prevention. Then they do early fall, fall, and late fall. Don't forget about ticks and mosquitoes. Lawn Doctor, your best lawn ever, guaranteed. Call them, 401-392-1025. The easiest thing to do, though, is go on their website, lawndoctor.com. Just type in your zip code. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. The problem with your heating system? Call R.E. Coogan Heating today, 401-732-6562. 24-hour emergency service, gas boiler, oil burner, Coogan Heating, 401 401- 732-6562. They're helpful, trustworthy, reliable. Explore their services. Look for them on Facebook and the website is recooganheating.com. Residential services, as Coogie says, let us into your home. Don't fix it alone. Plumbing, heating, and cooling from winter to summer. Trained technicians provide 100% service, one customer at a time. From service calls, maintenance agreements, to installation, RE Coogan Heating proud to help residential customers and they pride themselves making customer service and satisfaction a top priority call them today now it's cold it's going to remain cold call coogan heating today 401-732-6562 it's coogie it's 24-hour emergency service hey not long ago our hot water tank gave out what did i do did i panic did i try to fix it i called coogan heating 401 401- 732-6562. Look for them on Facebook, and then the website is recooganheating.com. You're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Joining me right now, one of my siblings, she is an independent columnist and writer. It is uh, Donna Perry and DJ, um, well, this week goes down. What a huge week in the form in uh, well in social media, and how people interact, and um, obviously you know highly talked about. But Elon Musk, I, I don't know what to make of this yet. I, I I think it remains to be seen. It it it's either a colossal mistake or it it could be incredible for him. I know a lot of his in, he's obviously a brilliant guy, successful guy. I know a lot of mm-hmm. his investors are somewhat concerned. At, you know, takes the eye off the ball of Tesla a little bit, but there's um there's a lot of fallout from this, and but there's no two ways about it that Elon Musk, in fact, has now will uh, has taken over Twitter. Yes, and and good to be with you, John. Um, I, I I agree with you. It's not clear. Does it really make? Uh, is it going to make a big change on the platform? But my instinct is, I would agree with those who say this actually is a very huge deal. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, Twitter at this point, I believe, reaches 200 million users across the globe. Um, and let's face it, John, they, they Twitter sets the table yeah. for not not only what's out there, um, but I would say very importantly, the way all of the media then like follows the narrative, as we say. I mean, they yeah. Twitter can really shape how a story is going to be depicted. And often I would argue sometimes, you know, really misrepresented. Um, And I'm not talking about misinformation, but I think there really has been a sense that he has gotten in there. He has made a lot of criticism of the platform. And I I would uh, say I have agreed with him. I don't agree with him on everything, but I think he's He's a big player, and I think he's a very forward-looking guy. And mm. I think it, it, his career has shown his instincts have uh, generally been correct. So I think what he is seeing is that, you know, it has fallen to a point where I think there's a sense that kind of a progressive army, <laughs> you know, John, yeah. let's face it, at least in the U.S., I know it's a global platform, but a progressive army really has taken hold of it. Yeah. I think they see it as their playground. Yep. Um, and and so I think that, you know, that they 
there are people who you and I are, you're a bigger follower than me, but I certainly get on there and, you know, and you see the people who they're, it's like their life revolves around, they're retweeted and um, they, you know, they want to go there, John. I think there is uh, definitely uh, crowds of people. They think that's the place to bash all Republicans, bash conservative policies, the whole thing. Um, And, you know, certainly Trump was in the center of it for so long you know, now Ron DeSantis is real in Florida in general, you know, it's like, let's just attack the whole state. So, um, and there's endless, obviously, topics I could name. But I think in terms of Musk, as you say, like, he he has criticized it, he said it's not really representing free speech. And I think what's been very important that he might bring to it has been, you know, things get labeled as misinformation, disinformation, and And I also think he has touched upon something where a lot of these platforms, you figure, you know, you need armies of workers behind the scenes. Um, You know a lot more about this than I do, but, you know, they are, you know, controlling um, all parts of the automation and what would get labeled and, and words flash. And, you know, obviously it's all automated. And I think there's a lot to be said for how, you know, the woke mob, they take over an issue and they try to declare something as hate speech, for instance. And I think that's bandied about a lot um, in our social media platforms and certainly with Twitter. So, and I think that I've said this before, you know, there's a lot of people, you don't have to be a conservative to say, well, you know, labeling something as hate speech right at the get-go is is a tactic, John, that yes. it's a political tactic and it's a way to shut down a yes. conversation. That's right. Um, and I think that Musk has been right on in observing that. That's what, you know, and, and there's, look, in recent years, you can go to everything from the origins of the pandemic, for instance, and people like an Alex Berenson, who was banned. That's right. Alex Berenson was not just nobody. He was a highly acclaimed uh, science writer for the New York Times at one point. Yeah, he did all right. his research. We know that he he couldn't, you know, his book. They wanted to, they canceled him. They, I believe, took him off the platform quite a while ago. Um, and John, he represented someone who I think rightfully early on raised questions about Fauci's leadership on the pandemic, a lot of things that went on, you know, at the height of it, um, the CDC, he, uh, there were also, let's face it, I mean, Twitter shut out people who were, by the way, they were um, that group of doctors and the Barrington Declaration, and they were people who said, Fauci's got it wrong, the US has reached herd immunity. JD, you and I remember that was within the year of 2020, I believe. That's right. Um, and not and, only that, you know, in some so... ways, and again, folks, let's speak with Donna Perry. I mean, in many ways, and I, I understand a lot of people don't fully understand how the different platforms work. Twitter is, you know, it, it is so much the media. It is so much people of, of influence and leaders. And yeah. If you are, let's just say you're the governor or you're a representative, what have you. If, if something is, as we would say, kind of blowing up on Twitter you it, it's impossible to ignore simply because i know people say not everyone's there but very influential media people are are there but where you know trump to be kind of made the platform and suddenly then where i think they made a mistake was he you know it's one thing to say about some of the things he was putting forth maybe it was untrue about the election and so forth but but to ban people and then you have you know taliban leaders and isis leaders and these some of these, some of these other individuals that still have accounts and then you're banning someone. He really revolutionized the, the whole element of, of communicating with the fact that he would just tweet something out and and boom, it would, you know, jump into action. And and the, especially in the early days, the first year of the Trump presidency, how the, the you know, local morning, not local, but morning television would immediately react to any type of, of tweet. So I agree with you, uh, DJ, that that Elon Musk, at the very least, could start to bring some balance back into it because it has become kind of of through like mob rule and it's progressive mob rule. Right. And, yeah. and, and JD, there's many, many, and I, again, I, I do uh, respect Musk. I think his instincts are usually right. And what he's yeah. saying is, look, if people 
are on there and there's what they're saying wild things. You, I don't know that you need censors. I think you, you know, the, the average intelligent person um, can say, well, okay, you know, what, what the heck is all this? And, and like you say, though, there is the, the problem is the bots get in there and then there's, so, but, but to our point, I think he has the technological know-how he may, Mm. he probably maybe, Let's face it, the guy's putting, you know, <laughs> rockets on the moon. I mean, I think yeah. he he probably says, no, 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 there's a way to go at that. Mm. Um, you can contr- control some of that, which obviously in the beginning they, they kind of couldn't. And I think um, when you look at the trajectory of his battle to do this and when you saw the hysteria pushback yeah. of like, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> I don't think he's a conservative. I think he is a free speech guy, you know? Yes. Um, I think he's an independent, and that's a breath of fresh air. Um, and as we've said, there's, been, there's really been too many people. They see it as their playground. Um, they want to shape the issue even when it's inaccurate. I would just lastly quickly point to what has been going on, you know, with Ron DeSantis, who is now, you know, the favorite target guy. That's right. Of the progressive left. And, John, yep. as we know, Twitter labeled it. And it was inaccurate that it there's not a don't say gay line right. in this famous right. legislation, by the yes. way. That's right. You know, parodied on Saturday Night Live and they didn't know what they were talking about. The Wall Street Journal did an op-ed and said that that is not in the bill. And I would just say on that larger issue, I think there are intelligent, uh, serious people who have valid concerns about children ages kindergarten to grade three that I don't think it is the domain of school people. And I will just say this. I don't think it's their domain to talk to children ages five to eight about gender issues in general. And that's that's really what he's trying to do. You're not seeing that bill represented that way in the media. That's an example of where Twitter goes after it it's it's actually being you talk about misinformation they're not representing the legislation right and i just think to finish up on that issue it is not hate speech for well-informed people to raise questions about that whole cottage industry about Mm. you know uh sort of almost persuading or you know misguiding a vulnerable young person about a transgender uh, situation i i think people have a right to debate that. I don't think yes. that's settled science yep. and it shouldn't be accepted by the public. And it's not hate speech no. to raise it, raise a question no. about it. Folks, we're going to take a um, quick break. Much more ahead. Donna Perry right here on the John DePietro show. Propane plus for heating and cooling. Call propane plus today in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359 in Rhode Island. Propane plus number 401 It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, Good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com, Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508-252-3359, and in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. We're speaking with independent columnists, opinion maker, it's Donna Perry, and DJ, we have been talking for a while, the mayor of Boston, where these groups would show up and uh, or really it started with the around the vaccines and they'd protest outside her home. They had been protesters outside the home of Governor Charlie Baker and Swamp. Yep. But the mayor of Boston, Michelle Wu, and they made some changes and said, all right, from now on, you know, we can't stop it, but it's going to start at nine o'clock because it, it used to be seven o'clock. Boom. They'd wait for the seven o'clock and start making noise. Well, it now reached the point that after several warnings, they finally did arrest someone who uh, is is going, who was in front of the house, who started to make noise. They explained the new ordinance. Uh, I think the police, it sounds like they were handling it well, handing out copies of the new ordinance saying nine o'clock. Right. And this is someone that just decided to disobey and loudly bang on, on pots and pans. Um, 
you know, it, it's been a while coming. And I think a lot of these people, or I, I know for a fact, they're, they're somewhat new to protesting in a way. And yeah, they, they have a, a, a wrong interpretation of what they're, you know, I have the right and, and I have the right. And you can say that as many times as you want, but I, I think in some ways it was long overdue for them to maybe even arrest some of these people. Right. And, and what happened in the last day with, with the arrest? You're right, John. I mean, I, I have watched this on and off in, in these months since she's been mayor. I, I think to your point that it, it's not effective. And I think when you're a protest group, it, it, it looks very much just like a harassment of the public yes. official issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, you can have great disagreements with her, but I think it's not effective. Um, like you say, I mean, to be out there before, you know, 7 a.m. and when their family's waking up and, and pots and pans and making all this noise. I, I don't know. That's not a way to get anyone else, in my view, in the public on your side of the issue. You can right. have an issue. Um, but it does begin to look uh, very harassing. I think I've said this before because she is a groundbreaking person and she is the first Asian woman mayor of Boston. I don't know. I think it's, um, I don't think they're effective, however much they want to disagree with, with her policies. And, and you're right. Baker had them outside the house in Swampscott and that was more at the height of the pandemic. And a lot yeah. of, um, small business owners or even small restaurant folks, they were very upset with how he handled a lot of the restrictions. But in this case, it, it really just begins to look like harassment. Yes. That's um, a good way to put it. It just it's really does. Not a like protest trying no. to get a result. It's more of let's go harass such and such a person. Yeah. Because I think yeah. if you polled the wider public, John, I don't know that they would know what is the issue the people are protesting Agreed. in front of our house about. Yes. So then in my view, if you're... Uh, and I'm all about, you know, activists can, you know, get out there, but I think then you're not effective. <laughs> I mean, right. And what's the end game here? You know, right. I mean, it's the element of a protest and a rally. It's normally centers around a lot of times legislation, something that's going to happen. You want to draw awareness. You, you want people to get active and involved and, and, and a public display to show that a certain group of the population is either for something or are against it. But but however, tied in with this, it was interesting because over the weekend, uh, you know, there was the, the big story last week. State Senator Sam Bell wanted to introduce. He wants to introduce. I don't think oh, it's right, be right. But the bill about <laughs> you're going to start to penalize people and 16 and up and employers. And so some some people went to his house on Saturday to try to have a protest to get him to withdraw this bill. And they were attacked by the, they were attacked on Twitter of all places. But by the same people who thought it was perfectly acceptable for progressives to go outside the home of Mitch McConnell or Tucker Carlson or Ted Cruz and people like that. So, you know, once you open the door, Donna Perry, and start saying it's perfectly acceptable for Bernie Sanders supporters or progressives to go outside the homes of a a Mitch McConnell or someone like that, you, you can't backtrack and say, but they shouldn't be in front of the home of a progressive legislator. Right. That, that's right. And, and I like you, you're pointing out, John, that's a great um, point in the case of Senator Sam Bell and his like widely mocked crazy legislation yeah. effort. But that's a specific issue. So, right. again, like we're saying, like a, a protest on that point is specific. It draws attention. Um, the bill was talked about and mocked nationally. You know, they said, what does what Rhode Island think they're going to do with this thing? Yeah. So I think that makes a really big difference. Um, and do I you think, think he, with, yeah. with Mayor Wu, Donna Perry, do you think, does this fire up the protesters of more of them want to go mass arrest? Or does this maybe make people, because not everyone wants to be part of something like that. And I've seen firsthand Sometimes, you know, there was, there was a group then in the fall, they had some pretty big gatherings. These were the frontline workers that yep. were against vaccinations. And when there was a protest outside the home of Governor McKee and two people, a couple of people got arrested, that was actually, you know, made a number of people say on second thought, I don't want to be part of a group that's getting arrested. So how do you think this impacts the group that's been going to the home of Mayor Wu. Yeah, I, I think this 
pour some cold water on that effort. Okay. I, I yeah. do. Because I think when you read into it, there are people who, John, it's almost become like a hobby. You yeah. know, they say we have shifts. And, yes. you know, so it, it's like they have this newfound it is. Um, political thing. And I would just say in her defense, I mean, at this juncture, I don't think there's some you know, wild um, continuing opposition in Massachusetts is very few COVID restrictions that you could right. even still point to. Good point. That's so right. they're, they're sort of like a year and a half behind. Yeah. Of, yeah, what's uh, the point here? Yeah. So yeah. folks, another quick break, much more ahead. Donna Perry right here on the John DePietro show. Portion of the program brought to you by the Coesed Inn. Check them out on the website, dipetro.com, the Coesed Inn or Rhode Island tradition since 1977 located 226 Coesed avenue in west warwick whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers there's always a great crowd you can link directly to them and gift certificates are available the Coesed inn 226 Coesed avenue in west warwick we're speaking with independent columnist opinion maker is donna perry dj what do you make of the fact that um you know for the long time obviously you started with uh, the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. And it's, it's interesting that suddenly now seemingly that, and it's the Democrats that are saying, you know, uh, they don't like New Hampshire. They don't feel it fully represents the party. Um, and it would seem that the, the country's first uh, presidential mm-hmm. primary could be in danger. Now, Iowa is different because they completely botched the Iowa caucus and, in right. 2020, I've always thought that there was a little odd with there aren't that many. Nevada is the caucus and and the Iowa caucus, of course. And I think with I think it was actually Jimmy Jimmy Carter that made the Iowa caucus very, very popular. But um, but what do you make of the fact that New Hampshire could get shut out now of this of this uh, Democrat presidential primary? Well, you know, th- this talk started bubbling up, I believe, right after um, 2020. I mean, yep. d- well, it got buried under a lot of the other stuff. I think there is uh, a part of the argument that is um, something that years ago would have been like, what are you talking about? But they talk about, you know, quote, white states. And I yes. think there is a part of the the Democratic Party, and I would disagree with that. These were more, it was just historically has been this. It, it goes way back. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I think that, I don't know that they're going to be successful to swing this around just in the next cycle, even though that looks like far away. You and I know, John, two years in politics. That's a that's a fast-moving train. So, yeah. um I, I I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a lot of problems to w- what are you going to cherry pick? What is the state that they think mm. will be the a lot, a lot of it is that I think that they feel, you know, what is the state that would be the engine for a new candidacy? And yet, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I would disagree that just because the New Hampshire primary, it's such an uh, institution with the media. And and I don't I don't know that there's going to really be the full a full swing um, get, or get an engine behind it in the Democratic Party. Mm. I don't know to to really knock that out. I mean, I think when you look at who in 2020, let's face it, um, people from the nearby Elizabeth Warren and there's a you know, there's a lot of strength in the Massachusetts. Obviously, it was one of the strongest Democratic states in the country. And neighboring New Hampshire, I think, you know, um, I don't know that they that there would be a lot of strength to just like sort of say, oh, you know, that's the end of that tradition. And again, Mm. I think I can just see in the Democratic Party, something that I've long said compared to the Republican Party, they have so many different factions, John. Yes, I, I could just see a knockdown battle over you know, who, who wants their state to be, you know, the one that kicks off the primary. And Hmm. the other thing I would argue too, that was something that's important here. When you look at sometimes smaller candidates, um, they don't want to have to start out in super expensive California where you have multiple media markets. You, You and I know like a lot of it is about you know, when you think of like an Amy Klobuchar was yep. kind of became the little engine that could. She didn't That's have right. a well-funded thing. Yes. Um, and John she got McCain. to, yeah, you know, right. Of- they get to storm around New Hampshire um, and, you know, back in the day. And then um, 
you know, lots of people who didn't quite make it to the top, um, but they fell by the wayside. But, you know, they got some steam out of New Hampshire. So I don't know. I, I think it's curious. I, I think they are going to leave. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm wondering where they may go. Maybe they end up somewhere, maybe like a state of Georgia. Um, I, I don't know about, about California, but maybe more. You know, there is a thought of a swing state. And then yeah. because there'd be such a focus with the Democrat candidate, that would be a chance to capture that. And then that that's an interesting development. Now, Donna Perry, finally, uh, you see, you know, obviously big photo op of both Anthony Blinken and then Lloyd Austin. And it's incredible how much we keep seeing these headlines. U.S. promises more Ukraine aid. You know, Biden announces veteran envoy. How, how many times do we keep hearing about there's going to be, you know, more restrictions or there's going to be more sanctions or more aid. Yeah, it, 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 it does. The rhetoric from especially Austin saying he feels that through our help that we've taken a lot out of of the Russian military. Um, you know, it, at the very least, I, I guess it's under better late than never. But this it, you just wonder what would have happened if if Blinken and Austin, if they had gone there in late January or early February. And yep. made a Statement about this. Well, absolutely. And I, I would just say it, it is remarkable over those 48 hours of the week. First of all, this Zelensky guy is just masterful media skills. Yeah. I mean, he outdid himself again, John. I mean, yeah. let's face it. He, he announced to the world that the, oh, quote, the Americans were finally coming and yeah. um, not the U.S. State Department. So no. he, he kind of got, you know, he uh, outdid them. He makes the announcement whether the, and they, of course, keep it secret. I understand for security reasons. And I think it was, you know, you were in that region, John, a very yeah. touch and go. And they, they took some trains and then we see what's happened. And um, so there they were. But I think the fact that as you say, just because they're making this 24-hour visit, um, I continue to think Blinken is kind of a weak Secretary of State in terms of he does never knows how to maximize the moment. Right. He's standing there. I just think he sputters out these kind of polite little statements. This is a historic conflict. Um, this could go either way. And I think, as you've said, the question just doesn't stop, John, though, there needs to be a game changing yeah. moment here. Yes. And I have said for weeks, I just don't think the U.S. sending a quote offensive weapons is going to be enough. And I just no. every week I say, you know, I think Boris Johnson behind the scenes is is questioning Biden's instinct on this from the beginning. I mean, that no. I, I don't think there's anyone who believes Never mind when you see the level of humanitarian suffering and, John, just this massive war crimes. And I, I don't see that there is any scenario that Putin and the Russians just fold it up and, you know, kind of retreat. No. So no. there has to be a game changing thing. And I think yeah. some of the NATO leaders probably think that whether it's air power or, you know, a Navy ship, I continue to believe the U.S. will have to get militarily involved in some degree. I, I don't see how, how that's not going to happen. Folks, she is, again, independent columnist, opinion maker. It is uh, Donna Perry. DJ, great job as always. Uh, spring has arrived and we'll talk to you again. <laughs> talk to you soon. In the Brood Awakenings and discovered the Brood difference. Two locations in Johnston, also in Cranston, Pontiac Avenue, and then also Bald Hill Road in Warwick. Brood Awakenings, their local, fresh ingredients, cozy environment, great comfortable chairs, deli delicious breakfast sandwiches, lunch, great drinks and coffee, and plenty of room to spread out and meet people. I'll see you, and you'll discover the brood difference at Brood Awakenings. You're listening to The John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 .9 FM. Now, as you know, we've obviously been discussing everything uh, that's happening at the border, but more importantly, that's about to seemingly happen at the border. Joining us right now from our friends at FAIR, and that is Research Director Spencer Raleigh. Spencer, it is, um, it's actually daunting to think of what could happen starting in late May and for the summer as the Biden administration seems to be pivoting to just a complete open border. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we're looking right now, we just saw the uh, 
the apprehension numbers for March, and it was over 220,000, which is very close to the highest that we've ever seen in this country. It was only surpassed by a little bit in early 2000. Now, of those, a little over 100,000 were removed uh, under Title 42, and that's kind of been the norm. About half have been removed by Title 42 over the last couple of years. But that is ending in May. So what we're about to see is most of those individuals that are being removed from Title 42 are going to be released into the country. And that's something at this point, Border Patrol will not be able to handle. They'll just have to release individuals in the country, not knowing where they're going, uh, not being able to give them notices to appear. It's going to be it's going to be a major problem. And let's uh, let's just back up and explain to people it was. It was President Trump that really ended, the, as they call it, the catch and release. Uh, and this happens where, you know, maybe they're they're brought in. Uh, they never return to for their for their hearing. Uh, the remain in Mexico seemingly far more effective in the Biden administration. You even have Democrats, Spencer Riley, that are willing to step up and say, wait a minute, we, we have to come up with another plan instead of just ending Title 42. Right, right. Yeah, because I think it's very important to realize that what the Biden administration has done is they've not just unrolled everything that Trump did to get control of the southern border. They're going they're going much further. You know, we're seeing these encounters, these apprehensions uh, reach record numbers. We're seeing ICE being handcuffed. They're they're essentially not allowed to apprehend and deport the vast majority of illegal aliens. So when you combine that with, you know, nearly a quarter million people coming into the country every month, you're creating a crisis unlike any ever seen in the immigration sphere now there are a number of democrats that are coming out and at least showing concern about ending title 42 without something in place to kind of stem the 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 large number of individuals coming into the country but at the same time when i really look at what they're proposing it, it, it seems to be just your standard congressional, like we're putting on a show to pretend that we're concerned because they know what's coming in November. There's very little that actually holds the administration accountable, makes them actually uh, use other forms of removal that are at their disposal or actually re-implementing the Remain in Mexico uh, process, which, of course, was uh, reinstated by a judge. But at this point, the administration has only put a few hundred illegal aliens into that program. So it's essentially still not being used. So I think it's good that even Democrats are starting to see the poll numbers. They're starting to see that the American people don't support the Biden administration on this topic. But at the same time, we got to continue to keep them accountable because at this point, they're just uh, they're just feigning concern and not really implementing real change. Folks, again, you're listening to the John DePedro show with us is Spencer Raleigh from FAIR Research Director. And, and Spencer, just to give people an idea, I mean, the amount of encounters, I believe, in the month of March, it's it's really frightening when you think about it. And what people also need to realize is, as you know, late spring, uh, May into June, and then summertime, That that's really, so to speak, like the busy peak travel season. So these two things combining, the fact that so many started coming over when just the fact that President Biden was in office, you, you could see unprecedented uh, demand of people just showing up at the border. And the frightening thing is here is it's the Biden administration policies that would there'd be nothing to prevent them from entering the country. Right. And that's I think that's the biggest concern, because even if we look at the past, when some of the apprehension numbers were nearly as high as they are now, uh, most of those individuals were apprehended they were either returned immediately or they were kept in uh you know in processing facilities or given ntas in the rare cases that they were released in the country the biden administration policy once title 42 is ended is with the exception of a very small number i'm talking less than five percent of those that are entering the country illegally each month they will be released into the country undetained and you know this is still during a time period where the our, uh, our economy is recovering from the COVID 19 pandemic there's still a lot of restrictions and you know individuals are still re-entering the workforce it's going to be a major hit to our economy with illegal alien with criminal illegal aliens i mean 
being allowed to be apprehended or deported. There's a certain element of, you know, criminality that we have to be concerned about as well. And of course, we just, you know, saw the news stories of more than a dozen uh, individuals crossing the border were ap- or uh, apprehended with ties to terrorism. So all of these are things that should concern the American people. We should be using our honorable members of the Border Patrol to allow them to do their job and apprehend and remove these individuals uh, from the border. And, of course, that has to be coupled with removing the incentives for illegal immigration in the first part, in the first place. And the Biden administration is just not doing that. They're adding more. They want more illegal immigration in the United States. And, and Spencer, what are some of the things that fear would advocate for that will play in with some of those in Congress? Well, well, the first thing that really needs to happen, because we saw it implemented, we know it works, is the Remain in Mexico program needs to be fully re-implemented, as well as the agreements with third countries in the northern triangle essentially those that are wanting to come to the united states claiming asylum they should be seeking that in the first safe country they should not be asylum shopping their way to their preferred location individual and and again those individuals should be required in many instances especially when we are are pretty sure that their asylum claims are bogus as most are more than 90 percent they should be required to stay in mexico because when that was required under the trump administration it it kept individuals from being incentivized to filing bogus claims, knowing they'd be released in the country. And more importantly, that allowed us to focus on the asylum applications that we knew were probably valid. We're talking individuals that are coming from, you know, war-torn countries, even Ukraine, areas like that. What The, the individuals that really end up hurting uh, in the middle of all this are those that we actually need to be helping. So that, that's the first thing that really needs to happen. And like I mentioned, we need to cut off some of the magnets for illegal immigration, you know, whether that's seriously entertaining, uh, implementing a mandatory form of E-Verify where workers or employers have to verify that whoever they're hiring is uh, lawfully permitted to work in the United States. And of course, also just allowing ICE to do their job, to apprehend those that are in the country without authorization, process them and ultimately remove them. Folks, again, we're speaking with Spencer Riley. And, and Spencer, what so far, before I let you go, uh, any hint of what the Biden administration may may do on this? Because th- this will garner, I mean, you're talking about an unpopular president, and it, it already is garnering a lot of attention. He, they, they have to react to rescinding Title 42. Well, at this point, we just saw a budget proposal for DHS that was released recently. And essentially what they are asking for, it, it, on the surface, it looked good. But, of course, we know there is an ulterior motive because we saw hiring more Border Patrol agents, you know, putting up cameras and border security methods. But when we actually looked at the line by line, these weren't individuals to apprehend and remove illegal aliens. These were individuals whose jobs are to act as kind of a welcoming committee. They encounter these illegal aliens, process them into the country, and, you know, just try to get them through that process as fast as possible. Because what the Biden administration doesn't want are pictures of kids in cages like we saw all over the last few years. It's not that they're trying to keep those individuals from coming in the first place. They just want to process them as fast as possible. They want to continue this kind of fundamental restructuring of American society. And yeah, it's not it's not resounding with the American public, but this really seems like a hill that the Biden administration is willing to die on, just continuing to encourage more illegal immigration in the United States. And instead of trying to deter it, just processing those individuals in as fast as possible. Folks, again, it is Spencer Riley of the 